Are you experiencing some anxiety? Here's Pastor John Randall with where our focus needs to be. He can handle whatever it is that's worried or, or causing you to be troubled or anxious, but you got to look at him. you got to get your eyes off of those things and get your eyes back on Jesus. That's the answer. The problem is we take our eyes off of him and suddenly things seem larger than they've ever been, but they're not larger than him. And so I've got to keep my focus. I've got to keep my, my, my face set toward Jesus. I've got to keep my, my nose in the book. I've got to keep looking at Jesus. And these things, these anxious thoughts, these worries, and all the rest of it, they pale in comparison to the power of the risen Savior. Look at Jesus. Get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on Jesus. On behalf of Calvary South OC, welcome to A Daily Walk. Pastor John Randall is our Bible teacher, and for quite some time, he has been leading us through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Last time, we observed the events surrounding the resurrection of our Lord. Hot on the heels of this magnificent time in history came the appearance of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Are there any parallels between the experience of the followers on the road to Emmaus and our lives? Let's find out now with Pastor John. This was the first, or at least this was the first of five appearances that Jesus made on the day of his resurrection. It wasn't the only one, but it was one of them. We know from Luke chapter 24, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus also made another appearance privately to Peter, to Peter. That's an interesting thing, because the last time we saw Peter in Luke's gospel, he was saying, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he did. And right after he denied Jesus, you remember Luke, unlike any other gospel, records that he and Jesus looked at each other right after the rooster crowed. And it says, when Peter looked at Jesus, he went out and he wept bitterly. In fact, one of the gospel writers tells us when Jesus had risen from the dead, he told them, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. If there was one man who had failed so miserably that needed to know Jesus was alive, it was Peter. And somewhere privately, the details are not recorded exactly what happened. I'm sure that it was personal. Jesus restored him privately. And then at the end of John's gospel, he would restore him publicly. But he ministered to Peter in that moment. Maybe you failed the Lord. Maybe you have blown it so bad and you think nothing is going to come of my life anymore. I've just, I've, they're, they're, I'm washed up. I can't be used anymore. That's how Peter felt. Listen, friend, you need to know Jesus is alive. And that changes everything. He can forgive you. He can restore you. He can still use your life. You need to know Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive. And so Peter was restored privately by the Lord. But while all of this is going on, Luke records something that the other gospel writers do not record. Two disciples on their way to a village called Emmaus. Look what it says in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love that verse. But their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And we were hoping 
that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things today is the third day since these things happened, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early. They astonished us, came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and, and that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now imagine this, picture this. Here's two men, they're leaving Jerusalem. Why? Because the kingdom's not coming, Jesus has died, it's over. Why should we stay in Jerusalem if he's gone? So they're leaving. They're traveling seven miles out of the way to Emmaus, down this road, and, and they are broken. They are perhaps weeping. They're definitely sad. It was visible in their countenance that they were grieved because of what had happened, what they had observed. And while they're talking about this, Jesus joins them on the road. Imagine that. And he starts asking them questions. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Why, why are you so bummed out? What, what's wrong? What's happening? They're like, are you new? Or do you not know what's happened? Are you the only, are you, have you never been to Jerusalem? Don't you know what's going on? Jesus says, what, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. You haven't heard about Jesus? Oh, tell me about Jesus. Here's Jesus asking them to tell him about himself. What happened? So they start explaining, well, he was crucified. And this, oh, really, he was crucified. Well, wow, that's interesting, you know. And, uh, and then he, they're explaining to Jesus what happened to him. All the way down. And they said, man, we were hoping that he was going to be the Messiah. And now he's gone. And. It's over, and we're just leaving, and Jesus is just listening and listening and listening as they verbalize their hearts, and then Jesus speaks to them, and in verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look at verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The first thing Jesus says to these troubled disciples as they didn't believe the reports of the women and they didn't believe that he had risen from the dead, he said, you're foolish, of, of, slow of heart. You're not believing everything that the scriptures has said. The scriptures did reveal, the scriptures that they had revealed that the Messiah did have to suffer, but they didn't believe it. They kind of didn't look at those passages and looked at the ones about him ruling and reigning. They couldn't understand the fact that he had to be a suffering servant before he could come as a conquering king. And so Jesus reproves them for their slowness of heart, and then he began to teach them. It says in all, from Moses, the books of Moses, which were the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, into the minor prophets, major prophets, into the, the Psalms, and you name it, he began to expound to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 39 books? Let me just go through this for you guys. Let me just explain to you where it says the Messiah had to suffer. Could you, I mean, really, the Bible study that that would have been. I mean, we would be astonished and Jesus began to explain to them all the things concerning himself. You remember in John's gospel, the fifth chapter, the 46th verse, when Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders, he said this to them. He said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. He said to them, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are those which testify of me. In the volume of the book, it's written of him. And so Jesus begins to expound in all the scriptures. What did he point to? Where did he go? Maybe he started in Genesis. Maybe he went to Genesis and he talked about the sacrifice that had to be made so that Adam and Eve could be covered. The fig leaves were not working. Something died and they were covered with skin. Perhaps it was a lamb that was sacrificed. We don't know for sure. But skins were, were something was killed so that they could be covered. 
Maybe he went to Genesis chapter 3 in what is called the Proto-Evangelium where the Lord speaks after Adam and Eve had fallen and sinned and he pronounces the consequences of their sin, but he gives them hope in the midst of it when he says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. What's that a reference to? It's a reference to the virgin birth. It's a first reference to to the fact that there's a redeemer that's going to come. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Maybe he went to Exodus chapter 12. Talked about the Passover lamb, how the lamb had to be killed and the blood had to be posted so that death could pass over. That's a picture of Jesus. Maybe he went to Leviticus and talked about the scapegoat and how that was used. Maybe he went to Numbers chapter 21, talked about how in the wilderness as the nation of Israel was constantly complaining against the Lord that fiery serpents were sent into the camp to bite them and the only way that they could be delivered is Moses took a brass staff and a brass serpent upon it, set it up in the middle of the camp and anybody that would look at that brass serpent would be saved. Jesus would say in John chapter 3, as that serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so I'm going to be lifted up. And everybody who's drawn to him, they're going to be saved. Maybe he looked at that. Maybe he went to Isaiah chapter 7, or Isaiah chapter 9, or Isaiah chapter 53, who's borne our griefs and took our sins by his stripes, we're healed. Maybe he went to Jeremiah 23, where it talks about Jesus being the branch, or Ezekiel 34, that he is the heir of David, or Micah 5, 2, the ruler from Bethlehem, or Zechariah chapter 12, when it talks about the Jews will say, where did you get those scars? And he'll say, I received these in the house of my friends. I mean, there are, he could go anywhere. All of the Bible speaks about Jesus. He is the theme. He is the emphasis. Look for him on every page. Pictures of Christ. When Jesus had finished his exposition, I am sure these men were dumbfounded. And it says here in verse 28, then they drew near the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, look at this, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Boy, that would have freaked you out, wouldn't it? (laughs) But this was so familiar. Jesus is going to keep going. I'm just going to, no, no, stay with us. Abide with us. So they have a meal. He sits down, and what does he do? He blesses it. He breaks it, and he gives it to them, distributes it to them. He did that in the feeding of the 5,000 says he blessed it, same language used, blessed it, broke it, divided it. Upper room, blessed it, broke it, gave it out, and suddenly they recognized Jesus. Their eyes were open, and immediately he was gone. Oh, what an amazing dinner that would have been. It says in verse 32, then they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts were on fire. And what caused their hearts to be on fire? They said it here, when the scriptures were open to us and we understood. Some people say, I just, I just want to be on fire for Jesus, you know? I just want to be on fire for the Lord. How can I be on fire for the Lord? Here it is right here. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Open the scriptures. When the scriptures were open to them and they understood what it said, they said, we were on fire. And you find some Christians say, I just don't feel like I'm on fire. I'm just not on fire. And what does that look like anyway? I don't know. But, but people say that. I'm just, I'm not on fire. I'm not this. And then they ask, do you read your Bible? Well, I don't, you know, I don't really. Listen, this is fuel to the flame, people. 
take the word of God and watch it just fan the embers into a blaze. And it just, that's what does it. It's no secret. It's, it's in the scriptures. And as the scriptures were open to them, their hearts were on fire and they ran back to Jerusalem at that moment. I'm sure they, they clocked, you know, seven miles. Let's hit it. You know, and they are just, you know, get your good sandals on. I mean, they are running all the way back to Jerusalem. I'm just reading into the text, but they, I'm sure they were quickly going back. And when they got there, they said, man, the Lord's risen. He appeared to Simon. We saw him. They told him everything that had happened. Now, as they were there, Jesus then appears to his disciples in verse 36. As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified, frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself, handle me and see. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. The disciples at this moment were hiding in a room. The fact that they were associated with Jesus and he had been crucified could mean death for them as well. And so they were hiding in this room and while they were there, the Bible tells us in the other gospels that Jesus actually passed through the room, passed through the door. Door was shut. He walked right through it. And right when he came in, the first words that he spoke to them was peace, peace to you. I'm so glad he said that. Peace to you. The Prince of Peace, giving them a peace to you. Shalom, he said to them. And right after he said that, they were fearful. They were frightened. They thought that they had seen a ghost. And Jesus asked them that, this question right here, two questions. And I want you to pose these questions to yourself in your own mind, because this may describe you today. Here's what he says. Why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your heart? Right now, are you troubled? You have doubts? Why? Why do you have doubts? Are you doubting God's love today? Are you doubting his concern for you? Are you doubting whether he's going to come through? Why? Why are you doubting it? And then the next thing Jesus does, I love, he points them to himself. Why do you doubt? He said, behold my hands and my feet. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Look at me, is what the Lord was saying. And if you are worried and you are doubting and you are troubled today, I've got the remedy. It's Jesus. Look at Jesus. Be reminded of his love for you. Be reminded what he did for you. Are you worried? Are you troubled? Hey, he took care of your greatest problem, salvation. He can handle whatever it is that's worried or, or causing you to be troubled or anxious, but you got to look at him. You got to get your eyes off of those things and get your eyes back on Jesus. That's the answer. The problem is we take our eyes off of him and suddenly things seem larger than they've ever been, but they're not larger than him. And so I've got to keep my focus. I've got to keep my, my, my face set toward Jesus. I've got to keep my, my nose in the book. I've got to keep looking at Jesus. And these things, these anxious thoughts, these worries and all the rest of it, they pale in comparison to the power of the risen Savior. Look at Jesus. Get your eyes on him. Get your eyes on Jesus. Now, at this point, we know from the other Gospels that Thomas happened to be absent. 
And so Thomas shows up and, and they say, the Lord was here. We just saw him. Thomas said, I don't believe it. Thomas said, unless I can touch his scars, unless I can see him personally, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus came back a second time. And forever, Thomas has been called Doubting Thomas. <laughs> Going to school, kids with the name Thomas, kids are all, Doubting Thomas. That's not, listen, Thomas just wanted to be sure. But when he was there, you remember, Jesus came in, he went right to Thomas, said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believing. Look at my scars, touch my side. And when Thomas saw the Lord, he was the first one that said concerning Jesus, my Lord and my God, is what he said. During the last 40 days leading up to Jesus' ascension back to glory, there were at least another five appearances, 10 in all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, 30 years later, and he said that Jesus was seen by over 500 witnesses, and he said many of which are still alive today. In other words, Paul said, listen, Jesus has risen from the dead. It's 30 years later, and many of the people that saw him risen from the dead, they're right here. Just ask them. They're still alive, and they'll tell you the truth. This morning, we could go on and on and build an even greater case for the resurrection, but time doesn't permit it. But it isn't so much that we need to prove the resurrection, but what we want to ask ourselves this morning is what does the resurrection prove? That's something that we want to consider. What does the resurrection prove? For one thing, it proves the exclusivity of Jesus. It is because of his resurrection that Jesus Christ is a completely different category than all the self-acclaimed spiritual leaders or messiahs who have come in their own name and their own power. Everyone except for Jesus is dead. Buddha's dead. Muhammad's dead. Confucius dead. Jesus alive. Big difference. Sets him apart. Not only does it prove the exclusivity of Jesus, but the resurrection also proves the deity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus. Our Lord clearly claimed to be the Son of God, which is the reason why the religious leaders conspired to put him to death to begin with. The resurrection was God's proof that the Lord Jesus is who he claimed to be. It proves his deity. There are multitudes of people that referred to Jesus as God throughout his ministry, and he never denied it because it's who he was. And the resurrection is, is really the, the proof, the monumental thing that verifies that he is God. Only God can give life, and only God can conquer death. The resurrection also proves that the teaching of Jesus was true. Everything he said about salvation, friend, he said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Everything he said about sin, all of sin, falling short of the glory of God, is true. What he said about heaven, it's true. What he said about hell, it's also true. It's true. The truth of the resurrection is firmly established even without man's approval. It's firmly established. And what a person believes today concerning the resurrection will in no way affect who Jesus is, but it will affect their eternal destiny. In fact, if you're here this morning in this sanctuary, if you do not yet know Jesus, your eternal destiny hangs in the balance of what you decide concerning the risen Savior. The resurrection proves these things. But what does the resurrection provide? The resurrection provides, for one thing, victory over the devil. And how grateful I am for that. Victory over our adversary. It was the desire of Satan to destroy Jesus. And he thought that the cross was the end. His ultimate defeat. 
But when Jesus rose, the Bible says that Jesus has disarmed the principalities and powers. He has triumphed over them, making a public spectacle of them, Colossians 2.15 says, in his resurrection. Not only is it victory over the devil, but victory over death. Death is the greatest of all mortal enemies. Every person is one day going to die. 10 out of 10 people die. It's a statistic. You can't get around it unless the rapture comes before. I'm holding out. But nonetheless, people die. But death isn't the end. Death is the doorway into eternity, and there's one of two places that you can spend it. But Jesus conquered death, and because he lives, we too shall live. The devil's defeated. Death has been conquered, and sin can now be overcome. It no longer has to reign in our mortal bodies, the Bible says. We can overcome sin through the power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is the seal of a finished work. It is a sign of a glorious triumph. It is the pledge of a coming resurrection and is the certainty of coming judgment, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. One day, friend, you will have your own resurrection. And so will I. Where will you be resurrected to? Oh, to be absent from the body for the Christian is to be present with the Lord. And that is where you want to be. Jesus died so that you could be in heaven with him. He died so you'd never have to go to hell to be separated from him. He loved us that much. And if you will come by faith and receive him, you can have the assurance of heaven. Your sin's forgiven. Well, Pastor John Randall is leading us through the Bible right now on a daily walk. And I'd imagine some of you would like to hear this message from Luke again. Maybe you joined us late. Go online to adailywalk.org and have a listen when it's most convenient. Or request a CD copy for a cost of just $5. You can reach us toll free at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. Another way to listen to Pastor John's teachings is through our mobile app. It's free and even available on Apple TV. Do a search for Calvary South OC. And we have a podcast too, available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we're super excited about this month's offer. It's a book from our friend in the ministry, Barry Stagner, titled The Time of the Signs. In it, Barry explores the events that will precede Christ's return. And he answers common questions like, Why is the rebirth of Israel the most significant sign that the end times are near? Where does the rapture fit in the chronology of all that will occur in the last days? We're making it available to our A Daily Walk listeners for the cost of $12. Again, you can order online at adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. And by the way, anything given above that amount will be put to good use and help people all over the world grow in their daily walk as they listen to these daily studies. In some cases, actually enter into a relationship with Christ. Again, you can donate online safely and securely at adailywalk.org. You know, we often say it around here at A Daily Walk because it's true. We want to hear from you. It lets us know where the ministry is having an impact. And also, we love praying for our listeners. Write to Pastor John by email today at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. Here to wrap things up is Pastor John once again. I remember these lyrics from a song. Perhaps you know it. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. 
whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Does Jesus Christ live within your heart today, friend? Have you been born again? I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm talking about having a relationship with a living God. Do you have that? Do you have the assurance that if today was your last day, you'll be in heaven? If you don't, you can have it. You say, how? The first thing you have to do is recognize that you're a sinner. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're not too bad for salvation, nor are you too good. We've all sinned. You recognize that. And as you recognize you're a sinner, you see your need for a savior. And then, secondly, you repent of sin. You turn from it. It means to stop running away from God and start running to God. It's hanging a U-turn in life and coming to Jesus by faith and accepting him as your Lord and Savior. And finally, once you recognize your sin, you repent of your sin, you need to do it now. You need to do it now. There's no better time than right now to commit your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you've never received the Lord, today can be your day. If you are a backslidden Christian or you are one time walking with the Lord, but you are not presently walking with the Lord, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to respond to the love of God today. It's time to get right with the Lord. We're talking about the Great Commission tomorrow on The Daily Walk as we near the completion of Pastor John Randall's study of Luke. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C.